Welcome. You're listening to the Diving In podcast, brought to you by Virginia Seymour and Louise Jones. This podcast is part of a lifelong conversation between friends about the books we're reading and the issues they make us think about. That also goes for the movies and television we're watching and the podcasts we're currently hooked on. We might even talk about what's in the news and anything else we're diving into this week. Diving In. Hello, Lou. Hi. Hello, lovely divers. Welcome to episode 49 of the Diving In podcast. Louise and I were discussing possible future themes on an absolutely sweltering day in Perth, weren't we? Uh, We've had a record number of sweltering days here. And we decided that we wanted to read books set in cold countries. We did. <laughs> so that's our theme. A for bit today. of chill. We needed a bit of chill. Yeah, we needed to cool down. Yes. So I've gone full Scandi Noir for Love today. It. And this book is like nothing I've ever read before. It's called The Therapist by Helene Flood. Uh, and it was a mid-2021 release. And it's translated from the Norwegian by Alice Alison McCulloch. Uh, and all power to the writer and translator. It's absolutely seamless. So the therapist is a young woman in her 30s, Sarah, who works with youth in crisis. She's had a number of roles, but she's now a private psychologist who sees her patients in her office at home in a suburb that her and her husband live in overlooking Oslo. Her husband, Sigurd, Siggy, is a young and fairly overworked architect, and their home is pretty run down they're trying to do it up there's a bit of tension between them about you know renovations renovations and the money required and it once belonged to Siggy's grandfather so it's one of those you know location is the best thing about it the book commences on the 6th of March and ends just 10 days later so Sarah works wakes up on a Friday morning she has a schedule of three patients that day her husband Sigurd has gone on a trip with some friends to a holiday cabin to ski. Uh, and he told her the previous night, I'll be, you know, I'll be getting up early to leave around 6.30. And so she wakes that morning alone with a faint memory of him leaving earlier. The book is entirely in the first person. It's in Sarah's voice. And this is the interesting part of it for me. Because she's a therapist, because she's a psychologist, The voice that we are sharing in her head is particularly reflective of her interior life and her relationship with her husband, with family. I mean, I'm not saying that other people don't think deeply about these sorts of things. Of course they do. But she's analysing her own feelings and behaviours in a way that she might analyse a patient's. Right. So, you know, it's quite unique and I really enjoyed it. And, And, of course, as may also be typical... Um, generalising, but as may also be typical of somebody who works in crisis or trauma care, she's pre-contained and she keeps her emotions largely to herself and, of course, to the reader. So before lunch on that day, between patients, she misses a call from her husband and she listens to it later and he tells her he's arrived at the cabin, at Thomas's cabin. He's there with Thomas and Jan, who are some of his work colleagues, It's good to be there and there's a bit of background noise, a bit of silliness, and she makes a note to ring him back later. 
And then later in the afternoon, she's on the train. Actually, it's early evening and she's returning from the gym when she receives a call from Jan, Eric and Thomas who tell her that Sigurd has not arrived at the cabin that day. Oh, no. <laughs> He's told them he'd be there at five. She, of course, thinks that he left early to go with them. And they say, no, we didn't get here till 10. We've been waiting all day for Where him. Where is he? So that's the setup. Oh. Sarah's husband's missing. And the book really moves forward with quite a gripping momentum as the police and Sarah by herself try to find out what's happened. And, you know, as she's trying to analyse her relationship with her husband, you know, has he lied to her, all these sorts of things that we're very much privy to sort of her personal psychology. And, of course, you know, the seed of doubt is planted because, you know. Because of the message Because of left. the message. Wow. There's a character in the book that I really enjoyed. I'm not going to go into any more detail about the, the plot because we can't with crime, really. Um, there's a character in the book I really enjoyed, and that's this sort of gruff chief investigator, Gunnar Gundersson Dahl. He's, of course, just doing his job. But sort of the ebb and flow of his relationship with Sarah and how he responds to her at different times in the story, you know, obviously he's playing a bit of a balancing act because the police might view her as a suspect, they might view her as a victim. You know, it's really good. I mean, he's a bit predictable. We've seen lots of chief inspectors like, like him. Sort of, yeah, yeah okay. but he's very credible and it's very well written. In fact, the whole book is really well written. I really want to read this. It's Luke. a very strong debut. She manages oh, it's to her debut. Sorry, yes, yeah. her debut. Yeah. yeah, and and she's really captured that intensity for somebody who's dealing with a major incident in their lives. So those early days, you know, the I don't know, the sleep deprivation, holding it all together, having to deal with relatives and just the roller coaster it's 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 really good really really enjoyed it and you are kept guessing right until the end uh don't even want to comment on the ending because i do have a view but okay i need you to read it yeah i'm gonna read it Um, it. and you know it's quite interesting because of the directions she's taking you in the book because you're with sarah of course and then of course you might have your own view about things there's all these bias Okay. So it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. So, yeah, that's The Therapist oh. by Helene Flood. It's, it's Maclehoe's Penguin. I don't know. It's Maclehoe's sure. Penguin, which imprinted is. And it's translated from the Norwegian by Alison McCulloch, because I always think we should give those translators yeah, sh- a huge shout-out. Yeah. That sounds fabulous, Lou. What about you, Ginny? I read The Sorrow Stone by oh. Kari Gislason. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Apologies, to any Icelandic listeners. This was sent to me by the University of Queensland Press and it met the brief perfectly. So Kari Gislason is a writer and academic who lectures in creative writing at Queensland University of Technology. He was born in Iceland and he has a doctorate in medieval Icelandic Mm. literature. And one of his earlier books was written with Richard Feidler. Oh, wow. Called Saga Land, and that won the Indie Book Award for nonfiction in uh, 2018. So last episode we talked about the Greek myths, and this week I'm talking about the retelling of an Icelandic saga. I know or knew absolutely nothing about Icelandic sagas until I read this book, and now I want to read all mm. of them. <laughs> this book, the, the Sorrow Stone, is apparently one of Iceland's most famous sagas, uh, and I loved it, especially because it has a woman at Mm. the centre of the story. 
So I'll just tell you a little bit about the Icelandic sagas just because I knew nothing about them and I found it quite interesting. The Icelandic sagas are tales told down the ages. They're primarily from the 9th, 10th and 11th centuries. They're mostly about the Norse people and they usually concern acts of bravery. And I find that interesting in itself, that that was the value mm. that they held most strongly, mm. bravery. It's quite a different set of values from, say, the Greek Stoics or the Epicureans. Yes. Or, tells you a lot about the people and the, the battles they had to endure, I guess, that they valued um, bravery the most. The sagas were eventually recorded and there are manuscripts dating to the 1200s that you can go and see in Reykjavik, mm. which I really would love to do. They're prose narratives and they mostly recount true historical events. They record a lot of genealogical and family history and they tell the stories of the conflicts and battles of the early Icelandic settlers and they cover a lot of pre-Christian religion and culture, which is quite interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. So, so they're quite different really from the Greek myths, for example, but they still have that in common that they are passed down from generation to generation, which I love. So the story that Carrie Gislason has retold in the saga here is one of Thordis Sursdottir. And she was born on Sunadal in Western Norway in the mid-10th century. And as a young woman, she and her family were exiled from Norway and then they went to live in a place called Haukadal in the West Fjords. Her brother had killed their neighbour and they had to flee. And this saga is called the Saga of Gisli. But Kari Gislason, the author of this book, has created his own version mm. of it and adapted some names to make it a bit easier for Western readers, I think. So the story opens with Disa, who's the heroine, and she's on the run with her son. And he is sort of a young, a very young man, young, maybe he's a teenager. It's not clear exactly how old he is. He has a shield and some silver. She has furs. Um, she has hard fish and bread, mm. and they're running for their lives. And it's very, very atmospheric and visual. You can feel the cold. You can feel the fear. There's snow on the ground. They're being chased. And it becomes apparent that Disa has wounded one of the men who is oh, chasing them. Okay. She's stabbed him in the leg with a sword mm. called Grey Blade, uh, which is a famous sword in Icelandic sagas. And then the story then goes back to a time when Disa was a young girl approaching the age to marry and gradually the whole story of Disa's life unfurls and we learn what happened to Disa and why she's on the run. It's really quite gripping. The earlier chapters are signified with a, a rune shaped a bit like a sort of an angular infinity sign, which I didn't actually realise initially. I just kept reading. And if I had one comment about the book, if I was editing it, I would have called the chapters then and now or something because yeah, so I did have, get a bit confused yeah, you initially. differentiate, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say any more about the story um, because I'll, I'll leave that for readers to discover, but there are lots of twists and turns, lots of revenge. Uh, it's a very violent time and it made me realise that I would last about 10 minutes <laughs> in this environment. <laughs> We're all a bit soft. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I honestly don't know how people survive these harsh environments and live long enough to reproduce yes. the species. Yes. <laughs> I just, 
It's amazing. I am fascinated, though, I mean, having sort of been brought up on a diet of Roman and Greek myths and not Norse or Viking or anything yeah. and nothing, where this is sort of the recording of history with sort of parables and lessons attached to it and where it becomes a myth yeah. as opposed to yeah. actual historical fact. I'm really fascinated with all of these traditions. And we know from games like Chinese Whispers yes. how easily little things can yes. become changed. Yes, and, and are they used as lessons for the next generation? Yeah. And of, do people get the story a bit wrong yes. or change it to Her suit The heroism is sort of exaggerated or... Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. But I think you can take it, once they were recorded on manuscripts in 1200, they probably stayed fairly static then. Yes, but it doesn't mean that they were accurate when they were recorded, no, does it? It's no, a bit so, like yeah, people right. might view yeah. passages of religious texts exactly. as well. Yeah. One interesting aspect of this book is that the son, his name in this is Sindri, uh, he is newly aware of Christianity. Yeah. And he's sort of starting to speak about his new beliefs. Mm. And it's quite an enlightening way to understand the spread of yeah. Christianity. Apparently, the person that Sindri is based on, the, the real person, did in fact play a very significant role in Iceland's Christianisation yeah, in about okay. uh, 1,000. Yeah, okay. Which is interesting. Mm. Uh, anyway, I really enjoyed mm. this and I felt as though I was really immersed in a completely new experience and I felt like he did a really great job of humanising history mm. here. So I would recommend that one if you haven't read any of those. I thought that was great. And then you've read another I Scandi have. Noir, I've gone have full Scandi this, as you'd expect yeah. from me. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention this book briefly. This is A Question of Guilt, which was sent to me by Penguin. I think it was first released in 2021, but it was released here very recently. Um, it's by the author Jörn Leah Hurst. I can't remember the episode where I first mentioned him. He's very highly regarded as a Nordic crime writer. His books were not originally translated into English and then a selection of three were and my son bought me those three. Yes, I remember you talking yeah. about them on the podcast. Um, and now I think all his books are translated. This one is translated by an Anne Bruce. So the, the three books that my son bought me were all cases solved by the veteran detective William Wisting and that's the basis for a television series it's on SBS here we got it in Australia last year yeah and you know it's one of those series when it seems to be perpetually winter it's always dark and snowy and atmospheric so this is the fourth Wisting novel and the book opens with William Wisting emptying the contents of his mailbox at home he's on holiday from work uh, and he's contemplating the fact that in the future he may be soon retiring, but currently he's on holiday from work. He's trying to resist looking at his emails, and then he finds in his mailbox a single envelope addressed to him. And inside the envelope is a single A4 page with a series of numbers in the centre. Oh, gosh. And Wisting recognises that as the eight-digit case number. Oh, that was always allocated to cases when he first became a member of the police force, you know, several decades earlier. And so the, the numbers give him an idea that the case in question is... An old case. An old case in 1999, but it's also in a district that he has never worked. So, of course, he rings the police records office and finds out that this is the murder of a 17-year-old girl, Tone, on her way home from work. 
and the very speedy arrest within three days and subsequent conviction of her boyfriend, Danny Momrak. And being the wily and experienced police officer that Wisting is, he tells himself that this is not going to be the only anonymous letter he will receive, and he is correct. <laughs> and so then, from then on, the chapters of the book swing between the present day and Wisting's efforts to reinvestigate, and then it goes back to 1999 oh. and the events that lead, lead up to the arrest of, of Mommack and his trial. I'm, I'm often quite sort of sceptical of the hyperbole that's on the back of crime yeah. novels because I've often picked up a book in a bookshop and bought it and they've been deeply disappointing <laughs> that it wasn't as gripping, terrifying <laughs> or a race against time <laughs> as I'd expected it to be. Um, but this one is pretty gripping. Okay. Uh, he writes in such an accessible way but it's sort of kind of a lot of dialogue in his book, so it's equal parts plot and dialogue. It's a real police procedural, so it's got that tension to detail that we love. Yeah. I mean, I should mention that Jörn Hurst was a police officer and head of investigations before he became a writer, so he's you know, very experienced. That's what he's talking about. So that's A Question of Guilt by Jörn Hurst. can highly recommend that That one. sounds great. And how lovely that you've read the other three and yes. this just flowed yes. on beautifully. Yes, I, I'm, I feel like I know William yeah. Wisting very yeah. well. But they knew what they were doing when Penguin sent you that. <laughs> <laughs> what else are you? That's it for books on our theme uh, in terms of books set in cold countries, although the other book that I was going to talk about is set in Wales, which is, a, I suppose... It can be pretty cold in <laughs> <yeah>. Wales. <laughs> compared to uh, in Perth at the moment, it certainly meets the brief. I saw this recommended somewhere and thought it sounded delightful and ordered it. It's called The Valley of Lost Secrets. It's a middle grade book. I just loved it. It's a story about two young brothers, little school-aged boys, who are put on a train at Paddington Station with a bunch of other children oh. from their school and they're sent to a tiny coal mining village in Wales oh. as part of the evacuation mm. of inner-city London children in the Second World War. Wow, yeah. And it's all rather relevant now as we watch Ukrainian fathers putting their wives and children on trains in 2022. Yeah. But in this case, the kids went without any parents. Mm. They were just all bun bundled off together with a kindly lady and sent off into the wild blue yonder. I just do not know how parents no. um, endured that. It must have been incredibly difficult. So The Valley of Lost Secrets, it's a great story. The two boys are placed with a nice couple, I was relieved, yes, to find. But they're homesick and it's very hard to fit into a new village. And this story probably covers, I don't know, only a, a week or two. It sort of covers a short period of time. There's a local bully. There's a friend, one of the other evacuees, who was a friend back in London who sort of allies himself with the local bully and uh, that's rather disappointing and upsetting. There are children from London who sort of transform in the beautiful Welsh environment. There's lots of different interesting things that happen. The boys discover a skull inside a hollow of a tree and then a mystery unfolds mm. and uh, there's quite a lot of drama, some drama concerning the colliery, and it has a great ending. 
So it's really, really well written and I loved it and I would highly recommend it. That was The Valley of Lost Secrets by Leslie Parr. And that's a middle... Middle grade. Yeah, fantastic. We should do some more middle grade stuff, uh, I think. It's actually really lovely to dip into something like this, particularly in the times that we're living yeah. in. It's sort of quite a relief. But also a lot of our people who are listening have got children. Yeah, exactly. For whom that, it's a, good it's a great, great choice. That one's published by Bloomsbury. What else have you been diving into, Jenny? Uh, I've been diving into quite a few podcasts. The first one that I have been loving is called The Rest is History. That's a podcast with Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook. They seem to each have different areas of expertise in history. And so they tell each other the bits that they know about. I think there's about 167 episodes and I've only just discovered this. But I just noticed that they had a four-part series on the rise of Vladimir Putin and I am devouring everything along those lines. So I have listened to that and I found that absolutely fascinating. So I'll um, I'll post the details of the four episodes because they've marked them, one of four, two of four, three of four, four of four. I listen to this podcast a lot because it's my husband's favourite podcast and it's often the podcast we listen to together if we're on yeah. car journeys and yeah. things. He, he has usually already listened to the episode he's recommending to me. Right. But the depth of research is quite extraordinary, isn't it? The really? detail. And they've written books. Yeah. They've written history They're books. They're very knowledgeable. They make it very digestible and very interesting. There's a, a little bit of back and forth and it's not too didactic. It's They do it in a really great way. Yeah, they do. I, have really enjoyed it and then the other one that I've been enjoying is their sister podcast which is called the rest is politics it's very similar or I think the idea for it probably came from the hacks on tap Mm. where you have two people like David Axelrod and Mike Murphy who are on the opposite side of politics yes but are united in their loathing of, so, like in Axelrod and Murphy's case, they, they both loathe Trump. Donald Trump. In this case, it's Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell who both loathe Boris, Boris. Johnson. <laughs> and look, there is an element with this one of two white men trading war yes. stories. Yes. So, you, ha- you know, if you're going to have a listen to it, you have to be prepared but for Rory a bit of that. But Rory Stewart is quite a scholar. I mean, he's quite a a scholar, and I, I must admit, I'm I'm going to listen to this one now yeah. that you've recommended I, it. So there's not I many like episodes; they've only just started. Yeah. But there's quite a bit of talk about Ukraine, and I've found it fascinating just to hear a conversation with people who have had quite a lot of influence in politics in the UK. I love their discussion about the oligarchs and Lebedev and mm. Boris. and So um, it's a good, good way to get back up to speed. Yeah. And, in fact, the Rest is History podcast have got some fantastic episodes on Ukraine. Yeah, so I there was saw an, that. Yeah, yeah, there was an episode where they talk about, I think they did a whole series on the Vikings. Oh, wow. So I think when the Vikings went east towards yep. Kiev, yep. so that that's a really Really interesting one. And then there's another episode to do with the relationship between England and Ukraine and the ties that bind them with Crimea uh, and the the sort of their past histories and where the connections have been between those two countries. That's also a really good episode. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then the other podcasts that I've been enjoying are a couple of episodes from The Daily. There's one that's an interview with Fiona Hill, who is the 
she's got a British accent, but she lives in Washington and she's an advisor to Biden and she's so knowledgeable about Putin and Russian politics and it's just uh, her being interviewed about her take on mm. this whole scenario in the Ukraine. I found that really interesting. And then there was another one that I listened to all about the sanctions against the oligarchs and um, I think a lot of people think that these sanctions against the oligarchs, well, there's differing views really, aren't there, mm. about the likely effectiveness of them, but there's a bit of a discussion in this podcast about the fact that Obama, in fact, started sanctioning some of the oligarchs back in 2014, oh, wow. okay. but everyone just ignored it. Yeah. And so they talk about the fact that basically that their name gets put on a list, they're mm. sanctioned oligarch and then they just go and create a shelf company <laughs> in you know some island where yes. where you can do that other and, name yeah yeah another name and people can say that they're dealing with you know xyz company and then they're not dealing with that yeah. particular oligarch so that was quite an enlightening podcast there's a lot as of well. information out there that goes beyond what we just read in the normal newspapers yeah. or see on on, on just on really screen online for. yeah exactly. there's more depth about yeah. well yeah 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 so i'll put all those in the show notes because they're all they just give a really interesting background yes. and a bit more depth. What about you? What else have you been doing? Um, well, I just thought I'd mention one other Scandi thing. So in the middle of last year, a Danish friend of ours, daughter, she gave me um, one of her favourite crime writers to read, uh, and that's Soren Sveistrup's book, Der Kastanian Man, which is the chestnut man, which I really, really enjoyed. It's psychologically pretty dark. I actually took a long time to read it. I don't know what headspace I was in at the time, but I read over a long period of time. Right. It's about a serial killer and it's got a very complex plot. Right. But I really enjoyed it and really, again, really well read. It's become a Netflix series. Yes, Which yes. I've watched over the I summer. Know. And it's been a, available for a while, The Chestnut Man. It's a series very much in the sort of Scandium tradition of the bridge and the killing, a super sort of atmospheric and gripping. But I have only just discovered, I had no idea that Soren, the author of The Chestnut Man, was also the scriptwriter for The Killing. Oh, okay. Um, which had such international success. Yeah, yeah. So I had no idea. No. I nearly chose The Chestnut Man for oh, our you? Cold Countries book. And I just went with this Sorrow Stone because it was a new release. And, yes. I looked and I thought I never really yeah. covered any Icelandic books. So um, that would have been quite funny if we have done that as well. So that's it for our visit to Norway and Iceland. I feel cooler already. I do, I do too. <laughs> Let us know if you've read any of the books we've mentioned today and what you thought. And thank you for all the uh, lovely messages oh, you know. send us. It makes us so happy to receive your messages it, it and to hear what you us think. On, it really it? does, yeah. If you haven't done a review of our podcast, we'd love you to do one for us as it really does help us. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more bookish chat. Bye. Bye. We really enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening and thank you for all your lovely reviews too. If you want to know more about today's books or anything else we've talked about, you'll find them in the show notes. And we feature most of the books on our Instagram page too at diving underscore in underscore podcast. And if you'd like to share any books that you've been diving into, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hello at divinginpodcast.com. Bye for now. Breaking up, shaping up, working in, diving in, breaking up, shaping up.